This episode of She Talks E-Commerce is brought to you by Lovely, helping you to make someone's day special. Lovely has a stunning range of fresh flowers, dessert gift boxes, plants, fun gifts, and my all-time favorite lolly boxes, all of which you can personalize and deliver on the same day, Australia-wide, seven days a week. It's one of my go-to ways to say thank you. So treat someone today by heading to lvly.com.au. Hello, gorgeous. Welcome to She Talks E-Commerce, the podcast that gives real actionable advice and rare insights into some of the world's most beloved e-commerce brands. I'm your host, Lisa Jones, and over the last 14 years, I've built and scaled three multi-million dollar online brands, including Eco Originals, the world's greenest nappies and wipes brand. But I started exactly where you are now. In this podcast, we'll interview founders and industry experts to uncover the actual strategies they use to get where they are, and we share key takeaways that you can implement to sell more online. If you're currently feeling lonely, overwhelmed, and you know your brand can be destined for so much more, then this is the podcast for you. Let's jump in. Hello, my gorgeous ladies, and welcome back to another episode of She Talks E-Commerce. Today on the episode, I have the beautiful Mel Huck from Wild Dough, who are very famous here in Australia for hand-making Play-Doh. Now, she has grown this into a massive empire, gracing the tables of hundreds of thousands of Australian families and pumping out more Play-Doh than you could possibly get your head around every week from their factory in Melbourne. And on today's podcast, I am going to have a really good chat with Mel around why you have to be your best marketer and put your best marketing foot forward, how running the awards circuit absolutely lends credibility and authority for your brand and how you can do it on a budget. We are going to talk all things trade expos and guys, listen up. Mel just did Life in Style in Melbourne a month ago and she walked away with 60 new retail stockers, yes, six zero, and over $50,000 in sales from a trade fair. Like these are massive results from being on a stand and building her brand. So she is going to break that down into a bunch of of tips for you guys to help you take executable strategies to improve your presence at stands. And we're also going to have a chat about why she's going into other products and how important it is to increase your average order value. So before we jump into chatting with Mel, it is October, my goodness. And this week we have an incredible event happening in Melbourne. We love to get out and about and meet our she-commers all over Australia. And this week we're holding a dinner in Melbourne with a bunch of really cool speakers and a heap of you guys coming along to a beautiful restaurant to hang out because community is really important. And I'm also about to pack my bags and go off to Bali where we're having one of our twice yearly Bali strategy and sourcing retreats. So I am like very psyched to go back to my favorite place on the planet and take a bunch of my favorite women with me that are mentors in our programs and then a heap of you really cool women. So stay tuned on our socials if you want to find out how cool our events are. And before we jump in today's potty, you know I love to bring you products I love at the moment. Now this is not a sponsored segment. This is just 
me falling in love with the product and sharing it with you. And today I'm going to share something really cool with you. They actually entered their product into our SheCon product awards this year. It is called The Proper, P-R-O-P-P-R.com. Now this is a bathroom footrest. Right. So I don't know if you guys know, but when you do a number two poop with your feet on the ground, you actually don't have the right angle of the dangle when it comes to your bowel. So a lot of healthy people decided a long time ago, like the whole squat in Asia, that actually bringing your knees up further helps you have a better bowel movement. Now, I'm a big fan of this and I love that these guys have made a footrest look beautiful. It would grace any home and garden house in the world. It's beautiful. Go check them out if you want to have a really nice looking footstool, theproper.com. Let's dive in and chat with Mel. and welcome back to another episode of She Talks E-Commerce. Today, I have one of my favorite humans on the planet on the potty, which is always exciting when we bring friends to the podcast. This is the gorgeous Mel and she has a fabulous story to share with us around solving her own problem, which so many of you have done in starting your own e-commerce brands by having a mum moment, solving it, and then turning it into an empire. So Mel, welcome firstly to the potty. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. My husband told me off the other day, by the way, about calling it a potty. He's like, who are you? What is a potty? I'm like, dude, it's podcast talk, right? (laughs) So podcast talk. If you don't know, you don't know. But yeah, he should know better. Let's be honest. It's true. So tell us around Wildo, how you started it and why you started it. Oh, I feel like it's such a fun story to me now, almost five years on, but then when it was happening, it felt like not fun at all. So what ended up happening was I was a corporate marketer. I was on maternity leave with my second child, which I think is a period in time where a lot of mums end up creating a business. And what I ended up finding was whilst I had this newborn created in my arms all the time, because my son, though I love him dearly, he was one of those children that would never sleep, would never get out of my arms. In fact, would not do life without me or my arms, basically. I had a two-year-old at home as well. And I had the mum struggle of just not having enough arms, not having enough hands. And my daughter loved Play-Doh at the time, as most two-year-olds do. And I ended up thinking that it was really was a lovely activity for her. But every time we got it out, it just was always dry. It was never the same as the day I opened the tub. It was just the normal plate you get from the corner shop. And it ended up being this really long task for us because she would just always say like, mom, can you help me roll out the dough? Mom, help me roll out the dough. So it ended up being an activity for her, but I had to do it with her, not just by her because of the fact that it was just so stiff for her little hands. So I literally was in like the mum haze one day and, you know, hadn't slept for a week probably. I hadn't changed in three days. I probably had like baby sick on my shoulder. And I just thought to myself, there must be a better way. So at that point in time, I just jumped onto Google and I went, is there such a thing as homemade play day out there? I don't have the background in teaching or education that I thought there was, but I remembered that my mum made it for me once upon a time, so there must be something better. So I just I did my first batch of homemade Play-Doh, just any old recipe off the internet, and I suddenly realized that holy moly, like this is different from what you get from the like the commercially made tubs. And from that point in time, I kind of thought to myself, wow, like 
what would happen if I could make this last longer? What would happen if I could make this softer? What would happen if I made this like fun colored and scented? And I guess I was really looking for this whole sensory explosion. So I ended up creating this beautiful recipe after a long time, just trying and retrying that was just amazing for my daughter, Ruby. So she was two and a half and I could give her my homemade Play-Doh and she would sit there and she would play with it for like an hour, which is unheard of for that age child, right? And what it did for me as a mom, I suddenly had time to kind of like, you know, nurse my son and like rock him to sleep and do all the things I need to do with him in my arms. And I could sit by Ruby and she would play. And every time we reached for this Play-Doh again, it was still there. It was as soft as the day that we made it. It was this incredible recipe. And I kind of thought to myself as, you know, the mum has lifted a little bit of newborn life. How good would this be if I could offer this to other mums out there too? So though my whole business and wild dough, the product itself, the Play-Doh is for the kids and everything about it has been made with kids in mind. Like my passion is really about trying to give mums that extra bit of space, you know, take that breath, enjoy that hot cuppa, which they probably haven't had in a while, or just take time away from some other children whilst they're not on a screen and they're doing an activity that is really, you know, great for them and take a bit of time back for yourself and use it in whatever way possible. So we're almost five years on and those beginning moments for me, I think are just like, they, it feels so nice to reshare that because it feels like it was a while ago, but that's just what I'm here for. Any new mums, mums of multiples, mums of, you know, I guess I'm just here to try and give mum some space. And hey, can I just share on behalf of all the people listening to this podcast right now, how you are the ultimate marketer. That was a story that engaged us all. It solved their problems and it did what we call a transformational sell, which is stopped talking about your features and benefits and started talking about the transformation and the solution you deliver to moms all over the planet. So well done, firstly, as a reflection. It is no surprise to me whatsoever that you have done such unbelievable things with this brand and are going on five years. And we're going to go through some of the incredible things that you've done because you've actually spoken to us on the podcast before on my previous podcast, E-Commerce Uncomplicated, and you're one of the coaches inside the SheCom program. So we're pretty familiar with the Mel story. And the things I'm really keen to focus on inside the podcast today is some of the wins that you've had lately, and in particular, right now in 2023, because we last spoke on the podcast in 2022, and a lot's happened since then in terms of the market in terms of what you're doing with new product ranges and even some of the successes that you've had at the recent Life and Style show, I'm really keen to get stuck into 2023 for Wild Doe. So where do you want to kick off? Give us a couple of your brag moments and share some of your wins this year because then we're going to unpack those and find out what isn't working right now. Yeah, look, and that was so like heartwarming to share that about me too. So thank you. I think for me this year has just been a culmination of finding some space for myself in my business. So I side hustled Wildo for three years when I went back to full-time corporate life and it ended up being a side hustle bigger than most people's normal hustles, right? So I feel like the first three years of my business, I was really, really busy doing all the things and maybe not as much as I wanted to do on my business. And then the fourth year when I walked straight into Wildo full-time, it was able to you know, pay me my corporate salary that I wanted from it and I was such a proud moment for me we were overwhelmed with production. So for anyone who doesn't know, we actually make all of the wild dough right here in Melbourne. We've been building production and factory whilst we've been building our business. And it did actually start from like me on my kitchen bench with like two kids on my hip. So last year, we were able to scale that right up to 
actually be able to output nearly 10,000 units a week in our new factory here in Melbourne, which is just like insane when I think about it. And in terms of what that is, I think that's around like seven tons of dough. Like it's like an insane amount. Let's just pause for a second. Seven tons of Play-Doh handmade by your team and your factory in Melbourne. So not only are you solving problems for mums and growing your own hustle into a full-time gig, but you're also employing other people and still keeping the ethical side of handmade in Australia. And we love that about Wild Dough. It's one of those rare handmade businesses that's scaling, which is clever. And really, really hard, I'll also say, but you know, we're getting there. And so I think as that scaling process went, I felt our fourth year of business, 2022, just was really also busy working kind of in my business and like working on that production scaling part. And again, as I said before, I'm a marketer background, like this is the stuff I love. And I guess my genius zone isn't something that I've been able to wholeheartedly place into my business full-time just yet because of everything else that's been going on. So I feel like, you know, we ended up getting the contract for the Victorian government kinder kits back in 2022. 2024 is going to be our third year we're outputting and every three-year-old in Victoria is going to have wild dough in their household. So we're coming up to nearly 250,000 families in Victoria to have wild dough in their households by then. Can you just say that again? 250,000 Victorian families have wild dough. Yeah, so by early 2024, we would have hit nearly 250,000 families down here with Wild Dough through their household. So it's pretty incredible, actually. That's unbelievable. And I'd love for the listeners on the potty right now, all of you beautiful she compreneurs around the world, tell them how you went about getting the Kinder Kit contract and what they should leverage in this lesson for their own businesses on a government perspective. Yeah. So I think we ended up looking at different tenders and different things when COVID happened, right? Because so many things happened in COVID and business changed as business has been changing the last year as well. And the way I did business, our exporting slowed down, A lot of our ingredients, materials were really hard to get for us as well. And I wanted to start thinking outside the box and not really have all my eggs in that one econ basket, essentially. So at that point in time, I'm a Victorian in Australia here, and we were all watching Dan Andrews on the TV every day, our premier at the time. Well, he still is at the moment. And I really think that, like, I just saw on the Facebook page one day, you know, the government is tendering they're putting together these kits they're going to hand out in the three-year-old kindergartens and they're looking for early learning tools and products essentially to go in these kits and they have this big line of things they're looking for they need to be award-winning need to be australian made victorian made need to be quality need to be something a three-year-old would want and i was just reading it and thinking tick 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 like we are all of those things why the hell aren't i going to go for this and it ended up being this really incredible journey that it was not easy In fact, it's every year we need to tender again and it's very difficult in terms of we even had to go right down to every single ingredient that goes and every single person that goes into the making production of our product. Like, where do they come from? Is it Victoria? Is it Australian? Like, where is all the money going when it kind of comes into me and goes out again? And that was a really important part for them. As well as, you know, they wanted it to be a great brand and a great quality product. So we did this very, very long tender and we were successful in the first year, which still is blowing my socks off essentially. And then we tended again and again and three years running now. I believe, you know, the current years, they're changing products every year and we've been one of the few successful businesses to continue in it. So it's really exciting times. 
Mel, those results with that Vic Kinder Kits, that's actually quite an incredible story. And I think a lot of ladies listening to the potty today will be able to draw a gold nugget from that to actually even keep their eye out on government tenders for different things. Where do you advise, like what's your advice in this place for women to try and find opportunities like this? So there's a really good website like on the government website online and also on the state government websites where you can actually like put your name in and just request tenders to be sent to you. And you can choose what sort of industry you're looking at as well. So now I'm also always on the hunt, right? So in terms of all the different things they're putting out and they just hit my inbox and most of them aren't for me. But one of these days, again, one of them might be. So I think for me, it really was a journey of it's a lot of time that goes into the preparation of these things. So I really looked at it in terms of I'm going to put a hell of a lot of time into it and I'm either going to win this thing and get a lot out of it or if I don't win it, I'm still going to learn so much about myself and my business. So I think you need to take that view on tenders as well because we don't win them all. But definitely it's an amazing opportunity to even go through the throes of applying and do all the things they're asking and it really shed a light on my business that I'd never really looked into before as well. It's similar to awards too, isn't it? You know, there's a lot of work involved in submitting your business forward for an award, particularly in Australia here, we have the Telstra Business Awards and they're great, but they're a lot of work to do the application process. However, I always saw them as an opportunity to learn more about my business and to also streamline our ability to pitch our business, how we describe it, you know, where we sit in the market. They're all learning opportunities. What about grants? Like I know and I'd love to talk about expanding into the US for you and Wildo, but have you looked into the EMDG grant and talk to us about grants because many women may not realise that in your country and in your particular area of country, you actually may have access to all kinds of grants from the government for different things. So tell us about grants for Wildo. 100%. Grants are absolutely like once I learned about them, it was just like, how have I never known about this before? So I, I would say that all countries would have a grant system in, in place to support small business. In Australia in particular, we have a really strong one to support local manufacturing. So if you're making a product at home, the EDMG grant, which you just mentioned, which is the export marketing grant, essentially, that initiative is is so fantastic. And what it particularly is, is the government saying, if you have a product or developing a product as an Australian and you're going to export and take that Australian product to the world, we're going to support you in the marketing. So I have been receiving that grant for several years now, and it was actually one of the draw keepers, I guess, that I wanted to expand so early internationally because the government was there to help me do that in terms of 50% of my spend marketing spend that we're going to pick up basically. There's lots of rules and things around it, obviously. So I'm a gold brick export marketing grant customer. I'm what they're looking for in terms of we make our product here in Australia and we are like an exporter. But even if you make your product elsewhere, but you're developing it here, there's still ways to be able to receive some of these grants as well because it's still Australian design developed and you know when it hits our shore, it can be exported too. So I would really recommend anybody looking into it no matter what you do. And there's some really great, like it's it's hard to do it yourself. There's a lot of really good like advisors and consultants out there who can help you. And essentially what they do is they do the whole lot for you and for a percentage fee of the grant you get. So if you're going to get 10 grand, they'll take maybe 15% of it. If you're going to get 70 grand, they'll take 15% of it. So I always see it as like it's free money. So if I can get it, great. I'm happy to pay someone to do all that work for me. If I don't get it, well, I was going to spend it anyway. So I definitely don't make decisions based on getting that money. But when it hits my bank, I'm always pretty happy that time of year. 
Yes, that's super valuable. And when I was at Eco Originals, we also were able to access some of those grants. And, you know, I'm pretty sure we got a grant for like 100 grand cash and we put 100 grand cash in on it. Ours was R&D grants. But there is a lot of money out there from the government and Austrade as well to help take you into other markets. So definitely some really valuable points there for our listeners today around government support to help you grow your brand. But let's flick over for a minute. I know you were just at the Life in Style show in Melbourne a few weeks ago or maybe a month ago already. Goodness, time flies. Tell us because I'm going to speak to you on now for just a moment on behalf of all the listeners to this podcast who are going to say to you, running trade fairs is a bitch of a job. It is nobody's favorite thing to do. It is a lot of expensive prep to get yourself at an expo. They cost a lot of money if it wasn't just the prep to make it look good and stage it. It's hard work. You are on the stand somewhere between two and five days working your butt off talking to a million people. You probably need to pay someone else to run it with you because you need multiple people on the stand. And then you've got to make sure that you've got such a solid sales strategy that post-event you actually clean up with sales as opposed to it being a flop to getting results. So I want to know, firstly, hit us with your, if you're comfortable on the potty, hit us with how many sales you got out of a trade fair just recently, because my hair popped up into the wind and back down again when you told me your revenue levels from the, the show. And then tell us how you did it. Yeah. So if you want to talk some numbers, so I like to talk units because I have such a low cost product essentially, but we sold about just under 5,000 units over the four days. And we're talking about like a $7 product that I sell. So obviously the revenue isn't quite what like a big high value product would be. But, you know, we pulled in, we hit nearly like 50 grand over the four days. And we had a lot of people paid there, which is my usual strategy for trade show. But the times have changed a little bit and we got a lot of payment quickly with our follow-up. We had phone calls the whole next week and two weeks with people saying we want to place an order. The follow-up this time was really important to us. But, yeah, we've gone put it over 60 new stockers just from that four days' work. It's been insane. stockers. That's incredible. Over here at SheCom, we've got a program for every level of SheCompreneur. Whether you've just come up with an idea or you're stuck trying to get to consistent 10K months or you're scaling beyond seven figures, we've got a program for you. And I know this because I've been where you are, listening to podcasts, trying to find free strategies and help and support, and you never have enough time, you never have enough money, and I'm going to give you the exact strategies that helped me scale a bunch of my brands that have helped me to scale more than 400 of my clients' brands. So if you want support, templates, exact frameworks and steps by a whole heap of experts, There are 12 of us that are e-commerce experts over here at SheCom, and we have programs ready for you to step into today to help blow up your brand. So head over to the link in our show notes or check us out on SheCom.co and see which one of our programs is the right fit for you. So what do you see other stand holders doing wrong and what do you do differently to get results? Because I'm going to be honest, I've done a number of these shows myself and sure, I've had fabulous results on some of them and not so great on others. And I see a lot of stands that go there, don't put particularly strong marketing strategies in play and come away bitching about how people aren't spending. So I want to know how you managed to get 60 new stockers out of the market right now in 2023. 
So a couple of things. So this wasn't my first rodeo, right? So I've done a few of these, but I haven't done them yearly or anything like that. This is probably my third big one that I've done. We've done a few different expos and things. And I will say that each time I show up and do any type of expo or show, I learn and I make changes for next time. So is my stand, is my sales pitch, is my strategy the same as it was the first time around? No, it's gotten better and better. But I think that's the important part, always listening and always learning and always just, you know, making it better each time. So the things that I saw this trade show on other stands that didn't sit right with me or isn't the way that I do it is firstly, I think branding is so important. My brand is all about color and bright. So it really lends itself to this big, bold stand. But even if you don't have a big, bold, bright color in your brand, you can still have a beautiful, beautiful stand, a stand that really shows off what you're doing. And I'm not talking about just products sitting on the shelves. I'm talking about, is there some headline text? Can somebody walk past and from walking past quickly, can they see what you're doing? You know, some of my headline text now is, Play-Doh like no other. That's all it says on there. And then I've also got a huge big wall of awards. And I know you've touched on awards before, and I just think that awards are so important to business. And let's just go back. Why are important awards important to me? Well, some of my biggest deals have come from awards exposure. I wouldn't have been able to get the Kindekit contract without awards. It was one of the criteria. You must be an award-winning business. And now, essentially, this last trade show, I did the award circuit hard last year. We ended up winning 11 golds over three continents. And it was an insane time, but I'm not just keeping them in my back pocket. I am showing the world these awards. So things like this also give you so much credibility when they walk past, because when they're meeting you for the first time, store owners don't know, you know, how old's your brand? Do people actually like it? You know, is it doing well? Are they going to buy it when they hit my shelves? It might look and smell great, but is it really all that? So I think that the credibility you can show from statements like award-winning and showing your badges, statements like I'm able to make, you know, like loved by 150,000 families. These big, massive statements really make impact. And I think even if you have one award or two finalist badges, that still has impact. I think if you can say, you know, 300 five-star reviews, that still has impact. So I think for me, having that view on a stand is so important. And that's what I always really try and do. But I noticed that the show, like so many brands just had a logo and then they had shelves with their stock on it, right? And so you walk past and, you know, I had one near me. I was like, what is your product? And I was so close to it and I couldn't figure it out. And once she told me about it, I was like, oh, that's amazing. But I couldn't see that. I couldn't understand it even looking from a few meters away. So I think when we're in e-commerce, it's really easy for us not to start like putting this out in the world. But I always think of my store, like my expo stand, whatever it's going to be. It's like it's my homepage on my website. Does it tell the people what it is? Does it show my credibility? Does it do all the things it needs to do before I even open my mouth and speak to them? And there are so many brands who don't do that. So another thing that I really noticed that isn't how I do business at these things is a lot of people kind of just sat back. And I'm going to say it might be a bit easier for me because I am an extrovert. I am a people person. I like talking. I'm fun and excitable. And that's just who I am. But it doesn't come naturally at these things. You know, you've got people who you've never seen before and you're trying to talk to them. And I think that that's probably one of the biggest things. It's practice, practice at these shows. You'll get better every time. And I think it's also just about, you know, like just putting yourself out there and having a crack. So, and I'm not talking about like a big sell on people, but I was watching stands and they were sitting behind a counter and behind that counter, they're waiting for somebody to come and talk to them. Now, at a show when everyone was already out there and having a chat, and I don't mean like a big sell, it could be anything. I mean, I had this lady beside me 
or one of the stands near me had this customer who I was looking at him from afar and he kind of spoke to her a bit about the product. He was in there about 30 seconds and walked on. He came past me and I'm like, and I was already eyeing off his jumper of all things. And it was this older man. I said, I just love your jumper. Is it hand knitted? Because it looked as though it was. So I'm having a chat, right? And he's like, oh, I don't think it is. And then we looked at the tag on his jumper and we had a good chat about the jumper and just about life. All of a sudden he owns a toy shop. All of a sudden he's in my store and all of a sudden he's putting in a huge order with me. So was he going to stop and talk to me? I don't think he was because I actually think he was just like having a bit of a cruise down our aisle and he had like a cruise past my neighbor and I was like, why didn't you chat to him? And she's like, well, I tried. But, you know, I think the thing is people and people like we can still converse without a, will you come and buy my product? Do you want to hear about my product? So I think that I saw a lot of people kind of hanging back and also waiting for people to come to them. And I saw a lot of people just on their phones. Like, you know, not even engaging. And I wouldn't say that like everyone was doing that, but I kind of think that it's really important in trade show to one, make your stand, set it up in a way that it's going to do some of the work for you. Secondly, keep it on brand, have it make an impact so you're memorable. And thirdly, like be there ready to talk to people. And I will tell you, even if talking and selling doesn't come naturally to you, practice makes perfect firstly. And secondly, nobody can sell our products like us, the founders. Nobody can. I'm going to say that one of the biggest salespeople out there, I could pay him $100,000 for a weekend. And I'm just going to say, I bet he can't sell it like me because it's my story. I have emotion behind it and I'm passionate about it. And the second I start saying, this is my daughter on the stand who is in the images, this product I created for my own children because it was such a hard time and I wanted something for the mums and it is me. People relate to it. And I think that's one of the biggest things. People often say to me, I'm not a salesperson. I'm not a marketer. I'm a designer. And I think ultimately, if we were to ask those people, tell me about your business, they would share it with passion. So it might be just a matter of just, you know, practicing, go to more events, go to more in-person events, speak about your business more in person. And I really think that everyone can kind of get to that stage, but that's kind of my three secret weapons. And I, I was really, really, I guess, and don't get me wrong, my stand was absolutely like pumping the whole time. We had lineups and, you know, I'm happy with that. I can project and talk to a group of people at once. But in saying that, you know, it's certainly something that you need to get used to. And when it happens, if you can't talk to everyone at once, it's okay to say, can you give me two minutes and I'll be with you? Or, you know, do you mind waiting for a second? Here's some of the information. Come and read it for a second before I get there. Like, think about what would happen if you couldn't speak to that person straight away And are they just going to move on? Or how can you grab them and keep them for a second until you're ready to do that? And I had lots of little things there. Come and touch it. Come and play with it. Pick this up. Have a look at that. Have a read of that. I had all these little things that I could say to people as well before I was ready to get to them. And people who like the look of your product, they want to hear from you. When people see other people in your stand, they want to go into it. And I think just like being your brand, dressing in your brand's way, having some enthusiasm about it, even if it's like day four, you've stood there for like 30 hours in the last three days and, you know, you're dead tires, just like bringing in the energy, it makes a big difference. I literally love every single thing you just said. And I'm thinking in my mind of all the mistakes I've made on trade shows, listening to your list, because I do find trade shows a little bit boring and I'm really good at holding conversation with people, but then I get really weary. And I think that that's the risk, I suppose, in brand owners. I think the thing to understand is if you're going to invest the big money that's required for you to be at this and you want the results that come from that investment, then it's like we have to change our mindset and actually be really present. 
put your phone away, be the face of your brand and essentially stock up on a whole stack of Red Bull and jelly beans and be the go-go gadget for your brand because people expect it from you. And I think in reflection, that's one of the things I see you do so superbly, Mel, is that you are the face of your brand. You literally embody wild dough. You are like fun and out there and you kind of dress in this fun way. And I think it's eye-catching And I think for all those reasons, I have no doubt that the cues at your stand attract more people and more people and love everything that you've just said around creating stuff. And it really leads me into one of my really big topics at the moment that I feel like I'm saying over and over again in keynotes and and on the potty, which is that, you know, it's one thing as an e-commerce brand owner to come up with a problem that you want to solve and be the creatress, if you like, of a product. But it's another thing entirely to sell the product. And this is where I think a lot of she-compreneurs go wrong. I see a lot of posts in the group, you know, I'm looking for a business partner or a marketing agency to come in. I created the product, but I'm an introvert and I don't really want to do all the other parts of it. And I think it's really difficult to scale an e-commerce brand if you're not prepared to put yourself out on a limb and be the hustling, bustling, marketing face of your brand in whatever version of that that it looks like. And I've seen plenty of introverted people who put it on, if you like, and act their way, fake it till you make it, as they say, until you get through this uncomfortableness about being a hustler. But I'd love to know, I mean, I see you as the ultimate hustler for your brand. You're incredible at it. Like shed some of your genius on this topic, if you wouldn't mind. Oh, look, I just, I just think that sometimes people forget the value that they have when they live and breathe these things and they're passionate about it. And I also think that it doesn't always have to be delivered in like this over exuberant, like super energetic way as well. That's kind of my way of doing things and it works for me. But I think just the idea of really being out there and being positive about your product, you knowing your stuff, like sharing it in a way that is actually going to resonate with somebody. That's a big thing for me a lot of the time. And that's what you said at the start in terms of like, what are the pain points? You know, I never say Play-Doh, awesome Play-Doh. It's scented Play-Doh. Actually, I take that back. I probably said that right at the start before I started thinking about it a bit more. But, you know, what am I selling scented Play-Doh? I'm not selling scented Play-Doh. I'm selling Play-Doh like no other. I'm selling, you know, Play-Doh that gives mums a break. I'm selling all of these different things, right? I'm selling screen-free playtime for children lots of different things that aren't essentially just Play-Doh. And I guess when I started thinking about my brand in this way and starting to really start realizing these pain points, and to be honest, one of the biggest ways I started thinking about my brand this way was award submissions. And like you said before, like the learning that goes on. So I've had four years of doing award submissions now. And my first submission is nothing like my submission today. And I'm not talking because my numbers are larger now and everything else. The way I talk about my product has also matured in terms of like the pain points that I bring up at the start, why you might even want it, who wants it. And I think that's also really important. So when you start thinking about like, how can I be a hustler? It's almost maybe not the way it's delivered as long as you're doing you in terms of, you know, the way you deliver something, but it's more about what you're delivering and the feeling you put into it when you're delivering it as well. And I really, really think that you can only get better at that with practice and like age-old stories, you know, someone said, if you're going to do a speech or get on stage or do something like that, practice in front of the mirror. Sounds like an absolute, really? Is that really a thing? But I'm serious. If you want to perfect your pitch, if you want to perfect your elevator pitch, if you want to perfect your cell, if you want to perfect anything, you just need to start practicing it and it will evolve. And I really believe that mine has evolved so much 
from direct customer feedback. Last year I went to trade show and I never told anybody that it's rehydratable. One day in, I suddenly realized, holy smokes, it's like the biggest thing about my brand. It's not only Play-Doh that's long lasting, blah, 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 blah. It is rehydratable. So guys, if your child leaves the lid off or it's been out on the bench all day and gets a tiny bit dry, a few drops of water and it is back to this softness every day of the week. And all of a sudden, that is like one of my opening lines that I say nonstop because why did I develop wild dough? I was so tired of it drying out. But instead of saying it doesn't dry, why don't I start saying it's rehydratable, which it is. So I think that's a line that I learned from feedback of just my general pitch going over and over. And then suddenly it was in the background, it came forward. Now it's like headline statement. But I've only learned to do that now because of feedback and being in front of people and also like practice and delivering. So I would say that I 100% and it's one of my mantras, put yourself out there. You never know who's watching. The first trade show I ever did, we weren't, we were like six months old and we landed a exclusive deal to go into all the Dakuba kids stores essentially. And I was like, I didn't even, I was making Play-Doh on my kitchen bench basically. Like I didn't know how I was going to fulfill it, but hell yeah, I was there for it. And I just think that, you know, you don't know who you're going to see at these things. So show up. And another really big thing that I always, always like to tell people, and I always believe it in myself is lower your expectations, lower your expectations of what you're going to get out of it. Because I know a lot of people, it's a large investment to go to a show, whether it's an expo or a trade fair or whatever else. And I know a lot of people then put a lot of pressure on themselves to do X amount of sales. And then when you're not getting those sales or your stand might be a little bit slower than somebody else's, you know, you start feeling it, it stresses you and that comes out and you see it. I even said to this to somebody at the show who was with me, they're like, no, you're so busy. I'm not, I'm really unhappy with how I'm going. And I'm like, how much have you done? And she told me, I'm like, dude, you've covered the cost of your stand. This is my only goal anytime I go somewhere to cover the cost of my stand and cover the cost of staff if I've got them there, break even, and then anything else is a bonus. And with this view, like we are always successful. And I just think that this, there's no stress. There's no anxiety. There's no, oh, someone's doing better than me. It's just, uh, did I basically cover my outlay? I have. So let's just go. Let's see what we can do. Incredible learnings that you can share with the listeners today, Mel. And I know for me, I'm already in my head thinking this podcast needs to be labeled like how to succeed at a trade show because so many women really need these actual strategies that they can implement next time they go to be able to make sure they double, you know, the results they get on the stand. So thank you for those incredible pieces of well-earned knowledge. And, and like I concur, by the way, if you followed my story at all, and I know Mel knows this, but we did five baby expos around Australia before we pressed go in our first container of Eco Originals nappies. And that was an expense, let's be honest, you know, baby expos, you're talking about 10 grand plus per show by the time you add some flights and palletizing stock to send it in, et cetera. In this case, for our very first five, we did, we didn't even have stock yet, but we pre-sold advanced purchase when it's ready to go, but we had samples with us. And, and I want to just, I guess, bed this idea down that all of those stands, and we ended up getting 32,000 parents' email addresses on those stands by giving away a year's worth of nappies. And we did sell $100,000 worth of nappies before we pressed go in our first container. So these were, those were definitely pretty cool features. However, above those, the number one thing we got out of that exercise was talking to literally thousands and thousands and thousands of parents, getting them to touch and feel the product and tell us 
what they liked and didn't like about it and what was their most important features they looked for in a product and what would they be prepared to pay for it and where did they want to buy it and how often do they use nappies and that kind of information as you've just shared about reframing our own idea of features and benefits and then what they see our audience and the people that actually bring money to us every month is often different and if we're not a really connected business owner if we're not leveraging the power of trade shows and consumer fairs to be able to connect with people to get their feedback, then we're missing a really big opportunity to frame how we sell our stuff. I 100% agree. It's worth the money every time, even if that doesn't show on the revenue figures. I completely agree. And the last thing before we move on from trade fairs, just to remind everyone of is that I've often noticed that sometimes we may not feel like, say, perhaps we've just broken even on the stand. We may not feel like we got value for money from the show. However, I can guarantee everyone that at some point in the 12 months post-show, something is going to appear out of the blue that has stemmed from you being at that trade fair. It could be a large retailer that saw you there and popped the brochure in their backpack and forgot all about it and pulled it out and placed a big order. Or it could be media that reach out. It could be, I don't know what it is, but there is always hidden silver linings to showing up to those kind of things that often take up to a year to show up, but make it worthwhile. Absolutely. 100%. I concur with that. Don't just be memorable on your stand. Give away something that can keep you memorable as well. This time around, and, you know, my product lends it really nicely to it, but what's your version of this I want to put to everybody? I had an interactive business card this year is what we called it. We had these little pouches. We had all of our wholesale details on a sticker, all my contact details on the sticker, and inside it had Play-Doh. It had some of our wild dough inside. And so every time someone wanted our details, I handed this to them. Firstly, they were stoked because they kind of got a gift. Secondly, I have had three phone calls since that trade show from very, very important people who I didn't even know I saw or spoke to or anything saying, Mel, I've had your dough on my desk for the last three weeks and I keep playing with it. I'm not sure what we can do with it just yet, but I keep playing with it and I'm reaching out. So it's just like insane, the power of people seeing you and also all the brands around you lift you up and you, if you're a big brand, you lift up others. So just being in that exclusive group sometimes is even just enough, like showing up and being there because it puts you on this pedestal with these other amazing brands that maybe you wouldn't have been with otherwise. And yeah, so I think that before anyone goes to the next trade show, think long and hard about what you can hand out, which is different from everyone else, not just the stand or printout that's going to make you memorable and that they're going to keep, they're not going to lose you amongst the like sea of business cards they get from people. I think you can all agree that this podcast has been so full of takeaways and I know your brains are spinning with ideas that you want to take action on, write down and plan for, whether that's your next trade show or how you can sell your brand story differently or how to approach government tenders. So I'm going to split this epic episode into two podcasts. Now, this is your time to grab your notebook or open your notes app on your phone and write down these thoughts from this podcast. Do not let this be another episode where you get inspired and have all of these epic ideas and then get back on the wheel of life and don't actually make a change in your business. Because if you want success, if you want an additional 60 stockers or guaranteed 250,000 new customers, you have to take action. 
Now, as you can imagine, Mel's story next week just gets even better. We're going to be talking PR, new products, how to keep your customer for life, even when you acquire them as a toddler. So make sure you've hit subscribe on whatever podcast app you're listening to me right now so that you are notified the second it drops. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of She Talks E-Commerce. If you loved this episode, be sure to click follow because the episode we have next week is one you won't want to miss. And if you're ready to work on your e-commerce business but aren't sure where to start, then use the links in the show notes to book your free strategy call with our coaching team today and let us help you to blow up your sales. Until next time, my friend, have a wonderful week ahead.